Psalms 110 that God's people would be willing in the day of God's power. That means you. In the day of God's power, you and I will be willing for whatever God calls us to be. Now, we're going to be looking today at a culture, developing a culture of honour in our church. The nation needs a culture of honour. We can deliver a culture of honour. Sounds like a political broadcast, doesn't it? We can deliver. But Paul, we're going to be looking from Romans chapter 12. Now, Paul was speaking into a context. He was speaking to the church at Rome in a depraved and immoral Roman Empire. But it was a very intelligent empire. They thought they were the crucible, crucible of all knowledge in, 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 the, in the world. There's a man called Cicero. Has anybody heard of a man called Cicero? How do you pronounce it? Cicero. Cicero. Well, yeah. Who knows Cicero? <laughs> Got a few more. Sorry, you'll get used to me. Now, he was deemed to be a great statesman, a lawyer, scholar, and an academic sceptic. He sought to establish a culture of honour into the fabric of Rome. It was said of him, a quote, to honourable man, Cicero, however you pronounce it, he praises, he is never ruled by narrow self-interest, but always by the common good. He determines his moral decisions according to the unchanging principles that are steady, and unshifting, rather than based on pleasure and pains. So he had this lofty ideal to transform Rome into a culture of honour. If you know anything about Roman history, it was a proverbial pipe dream, because it, it never happened. But here's Paul gathering to the church in Rome, knowing that these people could transform Rome from a culture of dishonour to a place of honour. And it was going to take time, but it happened. The church turned Rome upside down or downside up, and the Roman Empire was, it was incredibly affected through the gospel of Jesus. And so that's the background to this letter. You see, only God could bring a change to the human heart. You see, the condition, what is it, J. John says? The, 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 I've got it here. I've got, I know my wife, it's great being married. So, the heart of the human condition is the condition of the human heart. It's all about a heart, church. It's all about my heart. It's all about your heart. It's only when our hearts are transformed and changed by Jesus that can, we can affect change. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hid. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 was showing how they could shine for Jesus in an immoral world. And that's what we're going to be looking at shortly. You see, it was their privilege to talk about Jesus, but it was also their responsibility to shine Jesus into fallen humanity. I've heard it said of one Christian, um, somebody said to a Christian, I can't hear your words because your life is shouting at me. 
I can't hear your words because your life is shouting at me. There's got to become a connect between what we say and how we live. That's what Paul was saying. This is going to be critical to the church in Rome. And that's what he was looking to achieve, to to develop a, a kingdom culture of God in the people so the kingdom of God could flow out from the people to introduce the kingdom of God to the people. Never separate the king from the kingdom. Because where the king comes, the kingdom comes. It's not separate. That's why we need to have Jesus, the king, fully in our heart. Overflowing in our church. Because the king and the kingdom, there's no separation. And the Bible is saturated, saturated with the importance of honouring. To quote, honour is to, to place a high value and esteem on another person and to express it with sincerity. The highest form of honour that we can give is our de- obedience and devotion to God. That speaks to you and it speaks to me. To first honour him with giving him our first fruits of our affections. Our time, yeah, and even our finances. But God doesn't want your finances, he wants your affections. Because he's got your affections, he's got everything. He's got everything. To honour his creation, especially man and woman. No blurring of the edges. You see, because man and woman were created in his image. That's why we honour people, because man and woman were created in his image. No matter how deformed and misshaped, they're still created in the image of God. That means everybody. We can honour everybody because they were created originally in the image of God. To honour his gifts and leadership, both within the church and out of the church. So at the outset... Honouring God and others is deeply, is rooted deeply in our hearts. It's a hot honouring, and this is not a good preach for some people who drop their H's like me. <laughs> but honouring comes out of what's in the heart. The writer to the proverb said this, God your heart above everything else. Where it determines the course of your life. You guard it. Do you know what I guard most? My phone and my wallet. I'm always checking if I've lost. I, I, I defend that. That the scriptures say we've got to guard our hearts. You defend what's, what's happening in your heart, defend it, contend, protect it. Make sure your heart's always right. Scripture says, people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So let's get right into it. What Paul wrote to these fellow believers in Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you, 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So he starts by saying this, that the the primary way in which we develop a culture of honour is to let God, we give our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Now why would he say this in pagan Rome? Those of you that know anything at all about Rome, it was pagan. There was so much pornea, it, 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 it infiltrated Roman society at every level. Whether, whether it was art, poetry, even music, promiscuity, casual sex, even group casual sex, it was, it was permeated in ways that you would not imagine, thank God. How Paul didn't need to write that. All he said, you, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living sacrifice. Oh, I find this so hard. A living sacrifice. It costs to follow Jesus. It costs to stop doing what you were doing and embrace Jesus as your Lord. This is true worship. You see, we can come to worship and worship, but if, if our hearts aren't given to God, we can't honour him in the way that he deserves. He deserves it all. He deserves it all. This is truly the way to worship him. This is a truly true way to honour him. Then he goes on, he says, don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I mean, it's so practical, but it's so true, because he goes on in, uh, to write into the, um, to the Corinthian church, the mind is a battlefield for the soul. What's that hot chocolate song? It started with a kiss. No, it didn't. It started with a thought. It starts with our thinking. So, but you, God's people, you be reformed in how you think. I remember the story of a kid, his mum said to him, don't you, don't go swimming near that lake. And the kid turned to his mate and he said, I've got me swimming trunks just in case. I'm not going to get involved in that, but just in case. You see, we're renewed in our mind. You've got to change the way you think. Now that you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus Christ, if you really want to honour God, actually, and honour yourself, as somebody created in his image, your thinking has to be changed. It's fantastic. Do you remember, have you gone through a door... Uh, you know, you're used to going through a door. It's always, and it's always, you always push. Then somebody comes along and they changes the hinges on the door. And from that time on, you pull. And it takes two or three months, doesn't it, before you? No, I pull, not push. It's a, it's a changing of the mind. And if we're really going to honour God, first and foremost, we have to change 
our thinking. Then he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. I mean, he didn't pull punches, does he? Don't think of you are better than you really are. And let Paul speak to you, to the Spirit. Believer, don't think of yourself better than you are. Oh, I've got such a poor complex. Don't think of yourself better than you are. You see, that in developing a culture of honour, dear church, one of the dangers, one of the hurdles we have to get over is thinking of ourselves better than we are. It's called pride. I don't think we talk about pride enough. There's far more pride in me than I ever realised when God starts searching my heart. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. God, please show me. Give me a true evaluation. Where, Where I'm at at the moment. By the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Now, this is where Paul's... He's saying, look, you've been baptised into a body. You've not just been baptised into Christ, but you've been baptised into a body, and we are his body. So when we become a Christian, we're members of others now. We, 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 it's not about us, it's not about me and Jesus any longer. It's about us and Jesus. So we're members of the body. So it's not, I come along to church and I worship and bring the kids along and go home. That, that's a good church, that is. And then when we're calling, come on church, we are praying. This is a month of prayer. Oh, well, I'm not that committed. I'm not going to... Uh, I've got too much on. Or I don't think that, that's not for me. That's not what Paul's saying. He says, you are, you, honour one another, will you? Dear church, honour one another because you're members of a body. So when we don't bother to go to, uh, get involved in a, a group, whatever it is, we, we're putting ourselves as, we, are, we don't need that. I've got too much, we don't need that. What's that one with the, the four, is it three or four musketeers? Three. three musketeers. All for one and one for all. We're in it together. That's creating a culture of honour where we honour one another. Then people have been working and serving behind the scenes and nobody turns up. Now, thank, thank the Lord that doesn't happen in this church because there is a culture of honour here. But it, it boils down to that. And the root of it is Pride. I don't need that. Paul said, oh, oh well, I, the illustration of the body. Oh, I, I'm an eye. I don't need the ear. Yes, you do. You're saying your wisdom is better than God's wisdom. God's wisdom is now in Christ Jesus, his body. You need these people around you to challenge you, to love you, to pray for you. Goodness me, you need people to pray for you. We would not have survived without your prayers for us, what's happened to us over the last month. Because we're members of a body. And just 
jumping down to verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I mean, really love people. Don't pretend. Don't say one thing but not mean it because it's got to be a heart thing. If, if you're saying, if you're honouring people or you say, oh, I love you, brother, I'll, I'll pray for you. And when I say, I'll pray for you now, I have a check on my spirit. If I say I'm praying for somebody, I'm going to pray for them. Because I'm dishonouring them, I'm dishonouring me, and I'm dishonouring God. You see, it's a, can you see now, it's a heart thing, church, honouring. If, if our hearts are right, it will flow out of us. Jesus said, if, you, if your heart is full of light, it will it'll show. Everything will flow out. But if, if in, our, in our hearts we're holding pride, well, I'm better than her, or I'm better than him, it, it will just, that won't build up the body. It won't bring a culture of honour. It's just lip service. Really love people. Really, really love one another. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Can you see what Paul's saying here? This is how it will change Rome. This is how it will change our town. This is how it will change our neighbourhood and it changes our street where we live. If we embrace this, because this is, it's got to start with the household of God, but as we then do it, it flows out to our neighbours because there's a culture of honour in our hearts. We're driving our neighbours crazy at the moment because we're always giving them gifts. A big box of, not just a little box of chocolates, we're giving them a big box of biscuits every Christmas. Last year it was, okay, come and choose a, choose a bottle of wine. A crate of wine, which one would you like? Well, I'll have this one. And now it, the culture's beginning to change, not because of the wine, but because we're just modelling something of the generosity of God. We're honouring people because we love people. Because God has put loving our hearts, love your neighbour as yourself. Then he goes on, love each other with genuine affection. Taking delight in honouring each other. I could spend an hour just delighting in you for the people. I just thank God for you. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord with enthusiasm. Rejoice in our confident hope. Never be lazy. You see, I used to do proper work. I've done many jobs. But what I found in my early Christian life, like everybody else, when the boss goes, you knock off early. What Paul's saying is, don't roll up your scrolls and get your first chariot home. Because people are watching you. And when people are watching you, God's watching you because you serve others as you... Serve, the, serve others as you would to the Lord. So what you, when you're really working for your boss, you're working for Jesus, even if he takes you for granted. Jesus doesn't take you for granted. Develop a culture of honour when people are watching and when they're not watching, and the kingdom will come because the king comes with the kingdom. You'll be introducing Jesus into your office or whatever you're doing. 
Then he says, uh, where is it? Verse 12. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble. What's been shared today? Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. Keep on praying. Jesus said, men should always pray and not give up. And how is your prayer life? Heads go down. Perhaps you need to look at your heart when your head goes down. How is your prayer? How are you doing your prayers? I'm, I'm, my prayer to God, God, I'm not hungry enough. I'm not hungry enough for more of you. So will you give me more hunger for you? Will you deepen my love for you? Will you deepen my hunger for you? I'm too busy to pray. You're too busy to pray. Turn the, na- turn, turn the news on and see what's happening to our nation. Too busy to pray? It's when we start to weep for our nation, you know God's touching your heart. What's the point? There's every point because God loves people. God loves children. God loves adults. And I'm not, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here. But boy, we do need to pray for our nation. Keep on praying. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. I, I think this is one of the most... Um, Important aspects of developing a culture of honour in your heart. Where is it? Um, Douglas Moo. Has anybody ever heard of Douglas Moo? Yes. You want to see, Will? Um, ah, here we go. Commentator. Bible commentator on the book of Romans, he said this, uh, this voice, uh, this um, verse, to bless one's persecutors, therefore, is to call on God to bestow his favour upon them. It is the opposite of cursing, of asking God to bring disaster on you. Has anybody hurt you, or really offended you, or you just keep playing the tape because you can't get that text you can't get that email, you can't get that attitude out of your mind and it keeps replaying. How do you get victory over that? This is the answer. Pray that God will actually bless your enemy. Absolutely, actually pray. God, give them the best, the very, very best. And what that does, God will bless your enemies. Even the, the best way to bless your enemies is asking, would they come to know you? But it's when the Christians are your enemy. You can say, God, really bless them. But what it does, it frees your heart. It's a heart surgery takes place that you can actually love. And what happens is you come out and then there's coming, something flowing out of your heart that's different because God's done heart surgery deep within. I'm, I'm, I'm one or two, thank you for nodding. I really appreciate that. Yeah? But that's the way we can develop a a heart that will flow goodness out of life, our lives. A a culture of honour, it comes out in remarkable ways. Have you had that Bill Johnson quote yet? Has it been been gone? 
Oh, that's great. This is a cracker. A culture of honour is celebrating who a person is without stumbling what they're not. Just, you, you can meditate on that. That's, that's a keeper. Our, our, we've, um, our, our daughter and the family have gone over to Connecticut to live and uh, with the three kids. And the middle one, Jack. Oh, he's the youngest one, isn't he? <laughs> I really thank God for my wife. I really do. Jack, the youngest one. New school, new culture, everything's new. Anybody would be apprehensive going to school for the first time in a new country. Goes along and walking, and there's a, there's a tunnel. They have to walk down a tunnel with everybody applauding them. How, how embarrassing is that? But they're playing. Not only that, on a big loudspeaker, they're playing the who, our generation. You know that song? Who you don't? You do, yeah. And he was just overwhelmed because this, the first years were going back to, going back to school and all the rest of school were applauding them and cheering it changed him. From that day on, he loved school. And his quote was, I dare say it, you won't get that in Ashford. <laughs> but one day, hallelujah. You see, when you encounter bitterness, and you'll get bitterness. God can place you in and, and transform it, that bitterness with sweetness. There's a, there's a story in Exodus where the people of God came to a place called Marah, and the, the water was bitter there. And the people crying out to Moses, do something. And, and Moses got a tree, and he threw this tree into the waters, and it was, that's what God told him to do. And it was purified. That's a lovely picture of the cross. That's a lovely picture of the cross. Where you encounter bitterness, the cruciform life that you will live, just take Jesus into it. Even if it's painful, transform it. We've been through a tough time. You go through tough times. My wife got out of hospital for the second time, 17 days in hospital. The chemo didn't. It attacked her body too much. First thing she wanted to do was go and buy me a present for Christmas. It was a week before Christmas. And she, she came and, and gave me, she went down to the outlet mall and bought what sort of did, a perfect present for me. It was, but it was too small. <laughs> I bought too much weight. And I went back and uh, tried to take it back. And I'll, sometimes hurting people hurt. And I'd been hurting and didn't even know it to the, to the extent that it was, it was um, affecting me. And I went back and I said, can you change it? And he, the person said, I can't. I can't change it. I can't. Oh, can I have a refund, please? And he said, well, we... No, I can't. Um, i give you another one, but I've not got any more in the right size. And I, I went away having said, you know, I wasn't very godly. I've got to say, I wasn't very godly. And I'm getting home and I'm... I'm praying to Jesus in my daily prayers. It's a conversation 
and the Holy Spirit very, very gently said, um, that wasn't good. You, you need to go back because you didn't honour him as a manager. It's before Christmas. <laughs> My wife just got back from chemo. And I walked down to the outlet now and I saw you there with your kids. You were, hey, good to see you. And I think, good to see you. Good to see you. I got a mission, like the, the death march. And I walked up and I went in and I said, I, I just, I've come to a party. He said, I recognise you. I thought, I thought you would. I thought you would. I, I just want to apologise to you because I didn't honour you. I can explain to you why. And I did a little bit. But I said, I'm sorry. And the guy started crying. And I'm going to be ruthless, you honestly. I thought, great, revival's breaking out. <laughs> I did. And I started chatting because I said, gosh, you moved. He said, no, you hurt him so much that when you apologised, the pain came out. Had I not been praying in my God daily, I wouldn't have heard Jesus speak to me like that. It, are you too busy to pray? Are you? If you'd have been walking through an English town called Epworth, between 1700 and 1720, and peered through a window, you would have seen something. Quite strange. Depending on that time of day, the observer might have seen a woman sitting in a chair with a kitchen apron pulled over her head. While her ten children read, stood and prayed all around her. Because she was calling out her children. She was calling out for God to work in her, her family's life. She was calling out to God for a, a church. She was calling out to God for a nation that was lost in, in gin and, and depravity. This is our country. Gin, depravity and, and rampant gambling. And the rich were getting richer and the poor was getting poorer and poorer and poorer. So she is giving herself to two hours every day bringing up ten kids in prayer, and the only private space that she could have was that, to find a place where it was, she called this her tent of meeting. And she would weep and call out to God, God, will you do something in our nation? I pray for my children. She had a tough life. Two of her children became globally known John and Charles Wesley. Now, we often speak about Charles, John Wesley as a great evangelist. John Wes, uh, sorry, John Wesley. Charles Wesley was a great hymn writer. And he wrote books uh, that, were, that fueled the revival. Not only that, some of the effects of Wesley's work was coming back to his mother praying for him. It was through the conversion of William Wilberforce, Lord Shaftesbury, a group of evangelical Christians, including businessmen, bankers, politicians, members of parliament, whose ceaseless sacrificial labour has been benefited millions of their followers at home and abroad, were affected by John Wesley's preaching. The nation was changed. 
historians say the nation was turned back because of Wesley's preaching. Where did, where, how did Wesley become what he was? Because his mother was praying for him. Global awakening occurred through the preaching of this woman's son. Missionaries went out to Africa. It needed missionaries. But now, God's sending prayer intercessors back from Africa to England. I want to say to you, brothers and sisters from Africa, you have a historical anointing to intercede and to see a culture change. And you might just think you're here because you want a better education for your children, a better life, which is all well and good and great. But it may be God is also calling you back because there's anointing to, pre, to, to, to intercede for our nation. Because our nation has, has slipped. Our nation is going towards a very dark future. And we are the hope of the world, the church. And I would encourage you. Ashley Church, can you stand? Well, Ronnie, perhaps we can worship. Thank you, sweetheart. It's not going to happen, this change that we need, until God revives our nation through the church coming back to Jesus. He's looking for hearts that are totally dedicated to him, totally given over to him in purity and obedience to him. It's not the time for half-heartedness, church. Just look around. In the Welsh revival you've been hearing about recently, of 1904, there was one man called Evan Roberts. And he kept God, he was praying for 10 years for, our, for, for the land of Wales. And there was four words that he kept praying. Oh Lord, bend me. Oh Lord, bend me. You see, he wanted heart surgery. He, he was saying, enough is enough is enough. Bend me. Is that your prayer? Because this is our prayer. Thank you.